Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're listening to the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast. What? your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from this is the nightmare junkhead podcast the horror podcast that celebrates the entire catalog of one samuel l bronkowitz <laughs> my name is greg d i'm genius mcgee and on today's episode kaijun brings us on over to 42nd street as we go through the beaded curtain to talk 1982's q the winged serpent and whether or not you sunbathe on a rooftop you can listen into our show Simply search for Nightmare Junkhead wherever podcasts are played, hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, it will download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your Quetzalcoatl hole. That's <laughs> a mouthful there. Yes, it is. Uh, and if you happen <laughs> to get uh, Wi-Fi on your rooftop, uh, you can find us on social media. We're on Twitter at Nightmare Junk and on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead. And it is indeed on that book of face where we have an events tab, which leads to shenanigans and gorilla shenanigans. <laughs> As this episode is releasing on Friday, June 18th, Screenland Armor Gang, they have your genre needs taken care of indoors, outdoors, and virtually. And oh boy, genius. On that very Friday on the 18th, our latest Friday Night Fright mm-hmm. is an oldie but a goodie. Mm-hmm. We, uh, this last uh, Into the Mouth of March Madness, talked of the slew of slashers that came out in the year of 1981. And we're going to be celebrating by uh, patiently waiting... Patiently waiting. (laughs) ...for a little film that uh, features some amazing Savini special effects set Mm -hmm. pieces. Some Jason Alexander. And his hair. his hair. Oh. Way before the McDLT. It's appropriate you talked about that. (laughs) Show up early if you'd like a taste of that. You know what, genius? The cool side stays cool. And the hot, hot side, side stays, stays hot. hot. Uh, we are talking of 1981's The Burning. Such a good movie. Such a fun summer camp slasher. Such a mean movie. Well, with Savini providing the effects, of course it's going to be mean. And hey, if it's a summer camp movie, my apologies for everyone in advance. The cutoffs are coming out. Oh, yeah. The first first row might get wet. Oh my god. No, goodness. that's if I wear the cutoffs. <laughs> that's horrible. I'm gonna have to cut that out entirely. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> but I would like to comment though, and again, of course, if you can't make it out on that Friday, we do have replays throughout the week. But last Friday night, the last Friday night fright, um, I had a chance to check out the extended cut of Phenomena. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that yet? No. What's different about it? Is it more maiden, more monkey? A little bit of both, actually. Uh, more Motorhead. Yeah. There's, an, there's a Motorhead track that I was not aware of. Um, it definitely adds more of Donald Pleasance and the Monkey. Excellent. And yeah, don't get me wrong. It's it's good, but I still think I prefer the Creepers cut mm-hmm. because it is so lean and mean. And this one just, you it's basically they've given you the entire cow. And Creepers is when they've cut away basically all of the fat. Uh, it's just all basically, it's almost like the center cut. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why you cut these down a bit, you know, for the most part. Yeah, but it's got more monkey and more well, pleasance. And, no, like... and again, 
you can't go wrong with that, no. right? But it was fun. Uh, a little shout out to film family members uh, Chad and uh, Jim who were out there in attendance. But no, that movie makes me cheer every time I fucking see it. Every time I see it, I'm like, yeah. And I, I won't lie, I was standing to the side. We were in theater one, and I did a little peripheral. wasn't even peripheral. I'm just looking at everyone, waiting because when that moment hits, and it. It's at the same spot. Uh huh. Everyone reacted, and it was beautiful. It was Good. lovely. That is one of the best cheer-worthy movies because you you kind of forget about that, it for a second. That, that vengeance is so righteous. Yes, it it's is. so righteous. It is appreciated up and down the evolutionary mm-hmm. chain. Yes, it's a primal, <laughs> primal vengeance. Everyone was truly bugging out. And speaking of bugging out, the other repertory screenings that we have going on that weekend. Uh, one that is very prescient, relevant, uh, Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. Ooh, it's been a minute since I've seen that, but that's a good movie. I actually watched it at Screenland last year when they put it through the rotation. Ah, uh, yeah. Because it's basically one of the great summertime movies, uh, just because the heat itself... It feels hot, yeah. Plays, it's almost like a character. It's very much like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. And yes, I would put Spike Lee with Tobey Hooper just in terms of independent filmmakers. But no, it's incredible. And then also a film that is an I've seen that with a filmmaker who I've been filling in my gaps and oh my goodness, it feels so good to fill these gaps. But uh, they're going to be playing John Waters' Female Trouble. Ooh, that's an I've seen that for John Waters, mm-hmm. but for me. But I going through his back catalog... Isn't it grand? Isn't it just so wonderfully filthy and perverse and odd and surreal? I don't think we appreciate him enough, um, not only as a filmmaker, but just what he's done for the popular consciousness. Mm -hmm. He's in a Simpsons episode. He is a Simpsons episode. He is a Simpsons episode. (laughs) One of my favorite quotes of all time is from him. Life's too short to go see a fucked up movie. I love that. I love that. He's kind of the patron saint of genre movies, Mm -hmm. so I'm anxious to fill in that gap. And I also did see Serial Mom for the first time this year. (laughs) Serial Mom is great. It is. It's probably my favorite John Waters film at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's so. It hits every. It's everything a horror fan wants because the horror fan basically is Matthew Lillard, you know, yeah. her son. Yeah. It's wonder. It's so good. Have you gone the hairspray route yet? I've seen hairspray. Okay. Uh, polyester is one I need to see. Mm-hmm. I need to see. I've seen pink flamingos. That was an experience. Pink flamingos uh, is great. <laughs> um, um, oh, goodness gracious. Ten, me. Uh, 200 Maniacs. I have not seen that. Pecker, I have seen. Mm-hmm. Um, Low Down Dirty Demented. Shame. I s- did not see that one. Is decent? I haven't seen that. It's one. more because what's funny with Waters, there's like he's Cronenberg yes, times. Yes. He's got classic he's Baltimore's Cronenberg, right? He it's it's contemporary. I wouldn't say classy. It's trashy, <laughs> right? But they're all trashy. Mm-hmm. But it, but definitely, it's like right after Hairspray, he started getting less like became a little bit more mainstream, right? But still stream and a John main mainstream Waters film, John Waters is still outside fringe for a lot of people. So I am really looking forward to seeing that. Now, of course, if you're still not comfortable going on indoors, that's understood. Uh, that Friday on the 18th, their outdoor screening in the back, one that I don't hate genius, but if I did, flames, flames, flames on the side of my face, flames, the heat. I love <laughs> clue i had to stop her from screaming i love that movie so much i think that was one of my (laughs) first introductions as a youngster to an ensemble comedy cast like that but movies along those lines with 
those kind of casts I love, but that movie in particular, everybody is so fucking funny in this. And the fact that they've got two musicians in these little cameo spots, uh, you've got just a classic performance by Tim Curry. Uh-huh. Just everyone involved is so ridiculously talented, good, and I don't know which, if they're doing the... All three? Right. I'm not sure. I Show up to so. find out. I hope so. <laughs> but then on Saturday, on the 19th, a film that I, I, I've seen that, and I'm gonna probably get a little flack on this side, but we're talking Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two. <gasps> you this, haven't seen The Secret of the Use? I have never, not front to back. It's one I have walked in on on TBS multiple times. Oh, opening day! I was there. I was excited because it was Ninja Turtles, and Ninja Turtles was my thing, right? And I was like, <laughs> oh, who are those two mutants? I bet they're gonna be Bebop and Rockstar. Who the fuck are Tokar and Razor? All right, I'll go with it still, you know? so Were you dancing in the aisles to ninja rap? Not in the aisles, but in the sea. Like, go ninja, go ninja, go. Go ninja, go ninja, go. Well, of course, then, that is outdoor now virtually that next week on Saturday, June 26th. We're going to have our monthly Shutter shout-out, and our double feature is all built around monsters and masks. Uh, Genius, what are we going to be experiencing? We are going to see the very cool... Argento wax mask, followed by the insane and gory skull, the mask. And this was a Argento produced film, so wax max is going to be my first time viewing. Mine too. Excellent. Excellent. That's what I like with these is mm-hmm. to explore our catalog, expand that. Now, skull the mask. We were lucky enough last year to watch with the Chattanooga, Ch- yeah, film festival. It's brutal. It's bloody. It's, it's violent. It's great. It's a lot of fun. So I think it's, it's a lot of things. It, oh, it's it's basically it's one of those kind of mixtapes where mm-hmm. they throw in different genres. Yeah, a lot of it sticks, and that's because it's a messy film, like you said. Uh, it is a blast. Now, the, of course, those are streaming on Shutter. Now, if you would like access to, and listen, we customize. A pre-show. We do a little intro to give a little context to the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some trailer reels to kind of get you in the mood. Then, of course, we have a little post-film discussion. Get all that yakety smackety. It is a lot of fun. And if that sounds good, head on over and become a member of the Screenland Film Family. Again, you don't have to be local here to actually support them. Uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash screenland for those kind of customized extras. And a lot more. Oh, yeah. Let, let's face it. But if we are talking uh, Patreon and film family. A bellies. And genius, we have a new member of the film family. <gasps> Woo, new belly. And I know some people have a hard time wrapping their head around the fact that I am an introvert. Because here on a podcast, for the most part, it's just you and me. Right. My friend, my you know cl- trusted you know compadre here. But when I get out in the real world... I'm not as loquacious. You know, I'm not as verbal. I'm not as engaging. So I always appreciate people that are a few words. Let me just say that. Because one of the things is when we you become a member of our film family, I always got to ask, you know, you know, do you have a, anything to plug? We always like to plug and promote when we can. Absolutely. I uh, always like to find out, you know, movies that you are interested in with horror films, you know, just to engage you. So I sent it out and got a nice little, like, one-sentence response, and it was perfect. And I was like, ah. This is my kind of person. So shout out here to James Harrington, a man of few words genius, which, again, that's my people, mm-hmm. but did mention loves The Exorcist Ooh. 
in terms of a favorite horror film, which I've always I'm always curious. Like we always talk about how much your favorite horror film can potentially say about you as a person. Mm-hmm. The Exorcist puts you. That's classy. It's classy, but it's also trashy. Quick Exorcist story. Quick Exorcist <laughs> story. So I haven't seen the. This is maybe about ten years ago. And we were having a Halloween party. My mom was having a Halloween party for the for children, right? Oh, but no. Oh, Maybe no. a little bit longer than that. And they're like, hey, what's a scary movie? And I'm like, well, there's a lot of scary movies. Um, we want the scariest movie ever made. And I'm like, well, a lot of people say that The Exorcist is the scariest movie ever made. All right, cool. It's The Exorcist. How bad could it be? So... Meanwhile, these kids are having a party and everything is going on. And then all of a sudden I hear, fuck me, fuck me. And I'm like, oh, shit, I forgot about this part. Okay, I was about to stop you with this story going, are you a madman? I totally, Uh, I totally. They're going to be bored, number one, until they get to that point. And then they're going to be traumatized. Genius. I forgot. What is wrong with you? I forgot. I'm like, oh, shit, let me turn that off. So I hit eject really quick. And I was like, here, maybe I should put on this Scooby-Doo meets, like, goes the Boo Brothers, right? So I put that one on instead, and we went on the party. So fortunately, not a lot of, like, zoinks. My goodness. You're right. <laughs> right? <laughs> this party needs an old priest. <laughs> so, so, James, my apologies if that memory genius has tainted your love of The Exorcist. Honestly, I think Or that maybe enhanced it. it. Yeah. <laughs> But James, uh, he did mention that he is actually digging the content. Good. And I thought, let's, and, you know, we could maybe give him a preview of the content because he actually joined our Another Time tier. Mm-hmm. Now, with that tier, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, he is going to get, whether he wants it or not, <laughs> a little 10 to 15 minute episode of me talking about a film I'm watching for the first time. I've called it the I've Seen That Challenge. Uh, in fact, on Friday... I'm going to be talking about Rolling Thunder. It's got Tommy Lee Jones, uh, William Devine. It's huh. it's the revenge film where he's got the hook hand. Okay. You've probably seen bits and pieces of it. It's quite good. Now, of course, he is also then going to have access to our Shutter shout-out extras. You know, if you're a member of the Screenland film family or Sweet. ours. Sweet. Of course. And then uh, once a month, he is going to get a new horror review episode yeah now here in the month of june and i'm so looking forward to this one we've had some pretty good success with werewolf films yeah. set in the snow so far so good last year we were able to talk uh the wolf of snow hollow mm-hmm. and here in the month of june we're going to be talking werewolves within based on a game we're going to have some game-based discussions in there as well, Genius. Mm-hmm. I am very much looking forward to that. But I think the the best part of that particular tier that um, James is in is once a month, he is also going to be getting a commentary that we provide. And in the month of June, staying with Kai June, here just this last Monday, we unleashed the Destroy All Monsters. That was fun. It was a lot of fun, and it's great because it's a G-rated film. But the but, commentary but, uh, is not yeah, really not safe for work. It's not a. It's no. I wouldn't be blasting this. I wouldn't put our commentaries at the children's party. That's for sure. No. Hey, yeah. let's listen to something spooky. Well, Nightmare Junkhead. That sounds like a spooky story podcast. <laughs> Today we're gonna be talking about Ari Aster. God damn it! I'm like, oh, <laughs> let's change the channel really quick. Well, again, we do appreciate you uh, joining the film family here, James. 
You're fucking rad. And if this does sound good and you'd like to um, add this into your life, well, you can become a member of our film family by heading over to patreon.com slash nightmarejunkhead, where we indeed have a tier, everything from a squidly diddly to another time. Another place. (sighs) Always, it's, and what's crazy... We don't know Jing. He's not. I don't think he's a local KC person. That Sweet. always. I just. It's always it's, surprises me. I know, just, right? So again, thanks, James. We appreciate it. Now, Google gobble. One of. <laughs> so here, the month of Kaijun, where we've got two episodes left, mm-hmm. and when we were putting this together, there were definitely we knew we were going to be bookending the uh, month with two particular films. And there was the two in between. Yeah, we knew we, we had the Oreo, but what were we going to put in the stuffing? And were we going to double stuff it? Oh, yeah, it's Kaijun. <laughs> of course we are. And at one point, we were talking like you literally, like this was part of the criteria. If you wanted to see how the sausage is made, Genius at one point was like, well, I'd kind of like to do something with King Kong because I want to throw in a. I don't want to make a dong reference. I'm like, good Lord. I man, make are, you dong jokes. Me? are you kidding me? <laughs> so that, got, that idea got nixed real quick. <laughs> so. <laughs> but then you redeemed yourself, my friend, because on the flip side, you're like, hey, what about Q? And I was like, oh, oh yeah. What's a bottle? I could be down with that. Fuck yeah. It's a Larry Cohen jam. We're. And we haven't really discussed Larry Cohen a lot on here. We probably devoted more to uh, um, Hen and Lauder. Hen and Lauder. Well, yeah. and that's when you mentioned that. I realized, yeah, we have not devoted an episode proper to Larry Cohen, to any one of his films, which is crazy because when you look at his filmography... It's wonderful. It's, it's insane. It's intimidating. Yes, it is. It is a laundry list of some of the... Favorite underrated, underseen genre films out there, mm-hmm. and then even going beyond that into his TV work and so forth. But genius, you you mentioned Hen and Lauder, <laughs> and he's one of those filmmakers where you mention the name, if you know the name, you know what you're getting in for. There is a Hen and Lauder has an aesthetic. Yes, Hen and yes. Lauder has a type. Yes, kind of again like trauma. You know what you're getting in for. You see like the Tromaville production thing. If you're like. Well, I wonder what this Frank Hennenlauter movie is all about. Frankenhooker? Okay. You know, okay, okay. And again, uh, going with Larry Cohen, y- you know what you're in for. And like with Hennenlauter, there's a certain street that runs in New York <laughs> at a certain time period yes. in a certain place. This is Hennenlauter and his American movies. Mm-hmm. Larry Cohen is American movies. These are like because. We can say like Spanish Giallo, and we yep. can say like uh, Brazilian whatever, or uh, um, Taiwanese violence, or however we're gonna go. But Indonesian violence, Indonesian. Thank you. I was trying to think of like ah. But when you're talking about gritty, grimy Forty Second Street, New York, there's Larry Cohen, and there's Hen and Lauder, and then that's a, and throw in some Spinel, throw in some of the, that cat. But for the genre, there, mm-hmm. that's them. And I agree, and that's literally on my list. It says Larry Cohen Aesthetics, Dirty, Grimy, New York, 
42nd Street. I, that's my favorite fucking dirty, grimy New York, like late 70s, early 80s New York, because that was dangerous. It, it was like a jungle. Like there was things out to get you. You never knew what was around corners. That's where Chuds lived. Where Pimps and Chuds. Street toughs. Yes, exactly. I was terrified of 42nd Street. 42nd is, is it's that like forbidden fruit. You know, it's like, you know, th- it's like Australia. You know, like everything there will kill you. But it's still beautiful and exotic. It's and- beautiful and exotic. And there's wonderful things. And there's interesting people. <laughs> and there's a lot of cool things to see. And there's some very cool movies. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, everything <laughs> is sticky yes. and everything will kill you. Well, and it's appropriate because we often talk about the directors that are fans first and then fall not fall into filmmaking, but they pursue it. And, I mean, Larry Cohen grew up watching genre films in those very theaters mm-hmm. on 42nd Street in New York. So he is of the of the streets, yeah. you know? And there's that's why I think there's an authenticity to a lot of his films, mm-hmm. how they are very much for the people, by the people. And even when the people don't know. <laughs> especially. Especially when the, when people, the people don't, don't know. know. He that's mixes, the other thing. He is such a great pioneer in guerrilla filmmaking. And guerrilla filmmaking, you can view it many ways. Uh, low rent, independent, very risky, and a lot of it is filming without permits, without the permission of these places that you want to film in, because that's the process of actually getting those things and mm-hmm. making sure you won't be harassed while you're filming whatever you're doing. All the stuff that goes on behind the scenes that can limit a production, you know, halt it. Throw it to the wind. No, it's no worries with Larry Cohen. No, He's... because then you don't have to pay the extras. You don't have to <laughs> sign up the extras. You don't have to do nothing. It's like okay, we need a pe- we need a shot of somebody running through a busy street and the reactions of people. Well, let's just bloody up some dude, run him through the middle of actually downtown, and see what happens. We won't tell the cops. By the time the cops come, we'll already we're shot. Gone. We're gone. We're we're shooting the next street over. Brilliant, it, brilliant, and. Because they're real shots, and it's just real people. And that's again, adds to the authenticity of it, because it's genuine reactions. Do you think this is kind of not the precursor of like reality TV, but something along, not even, and not even necessarily hidden camera, but just that raw, gritty, just uncut material, mm-hmm. where it is real. Yeah. It, it's, it's fascinating. Now, the other thing that I would definitely say as well, when I'm talking Larry Cohen, is elements of satire. And definitely a distrust of the government. He's a political dude. Yes, All he of is. his movies are very politically charged. The ones he's right and produced and directed, they're all politically charged. They all have something to say about something. And that's the other thing as well is he was one of those people that you know what I do have a story to tell, and I'm gonna t- I'm gonna find a way to get it made, regardless one way or the other, whether I ruffle some feathers potentially. Mm-hmm. But he's also just very much a, um, a not only a fanboy but someone that is just devoted to cinema and the art of it and yeah. the process and the craft of it and even if it's low budget guerrilla filmmaking it's still special mm-hmm. you know it's still it's it, there's a craft to it and a care which is like you said there's a there's a charm yeah. to a lot of his films cuz again he knows what he wants to say and how he wants to say yeah. it you know and He's like, okay, we'll just do it quicker, and sometimes I'll just do it myself. Well, if, let's go ahead. We're going to look at some of the films that he has directed, and it's it's crazy to look at the variety of some of these films mm-hmm. 
And I mean, we're talking all the way back. He is uh, peddled into black exploitation with Black Caesar, with Fred the Hammer Williamson. Hell up in Harlem. Hell up in Harlem. Yeah. The entirety of the It's Alive franchise, and I've seen those. I like the first one, Killer Babies. Yeah. No, uh, it's. Fa- I need to see that now. One that we both watched for the first time last year. God told me to. Woo, that movie was wild. That movie was insane. And again, a number of shots in that film, totally without permit. The, the entirety of the parade with Andy with Andy with Kaufman. Andy Kaufman as a cop getting shooting people in the middle of this parade in downtown New York. It's nuts. It I, is insane. Well, he's with other cops, and it's I, it, it's a bizarre. The movie itself is crazy, oh, well, but to add an Andy Kaufman scene in the middle of it with all that going on and people just like. Holy shit, is this really happening? And if you need a little n- another reason to watch the film, it features a podcast favorite, Richard Lynch. Yep. As a Jesus metaphor with a side gina. I'll it's, just leave it at that. It's kind of crazy. It's insane. I would say he's probably best known for the stuff. Which is anti-capitalism. It's completely anti-capitalism. Anti-marketing, anti-all that stuff. And yeah, Chocolate Chip Charlie, just the whole gruesome demise and the whole whole premise of Killer Yogurt. Killer Yogurt. Very, very unique. Would you say maybe that might be his most accessible film? Absolutely. I think that's his most, most, most accessible. Especially ones that when you introduce people to Larry Cohen. Yeah, it's the Cohen 101. Mm-hmm. And in that one, you can't go wrong with it. It is a lot of fun. Now, one that... Now, I haven't seen any of those in the theater. One I did I see in the theater. I bet there is one you've seen in the theater. I bet there's one you've seen in the theater. I bet <laughs> Dustin saw it, too. I saw it in a video, <laughs> but I definitely seen it. And what's horrible is I went around that time in my life, I was not a good student, and I would skip school to go to, like, a matinee screening but I did in the theater see original original gangsters. gangsters. Hell yeah, dude! <laughs> well, what I realized, I found out because I was really around that time. I was kind of discovering a lot of those films, and I was really into you know Fred the Hammer Williamson, and especially Pam, Pam Greer. Greer. Oh my goodness! Um, now, any other ones that he's directed that we should talk about briefly? Because then I want to look at <laughs> the prolific writing that he's done. Uh, let's see, Full Moon High, uh, Full Moon High, that, I think that actually has Dean Cameron in it, if, if I'm remembering right. Wicked Stepmother was one of Betty Davis's last movies. Ooh, and I know, if I remember right, when we were watching the King Cohen documentary, he was super excited to be working with her. Well, that's one of his idols. Yeah. I mean, especially growing up in the time that he did with the movies that she's made, of course, he's gonna be like, whoa, because that's like... We got to work with Elvira. Right. You know? Well, and he's also almost like a proto-Quentin Tarantino where he wanted to like bring back some of these actors that mm-hmm. he was very familiar with that he loved and to give them chances and opportunities, which yeah. I always appreciated. But now he also, it should be noticed, he did write all of those films that he did direct. Mm-hmm. But my goodness, the stuff, now the the TV stuff he did is insane. That in and of itself you could spend an entire series talking about. But the, most the Fugitive. The Fugitive. The oh Fugitive. He created and wrote The Fugitive. The, that became the Harrison Ford Absolutely. Movie. Surfside 6. Who lives there? He did Surfside 6. He did... Genius. Um, he did Branded. He did Branded. I love your work. Bulk of the series. <laughs> um, he wrote Return to Salem's Lot. Yep. 
Uh, oh my goodness, he wrote the entirety of the Mania Cop franchise. Yeah, one, two, and three. Now that, in and of itself, you you deserve a place on the Mount Rushmore, you know, genre films, because anytime you can make Robert Zadar a star, oh, it's so ridiculously good. And he's also his work has been uh, directed by a number of talented filmmakers, including one Abel Ferrara with Body Snatchers, uh, Uncle Sam. That is a legit good movie. I remember the lenticular cover with mm-hmm. that one. It's a it's it's a straight up uh, just a pure Larry Cohen movie. And another one, Phone Booth. I saw that in the theater. Phone Booth was dope as shit. Phone Booth. Phone booth felt like a Larry Cohen because it, it also had some of those like what the fuck reactions. I really enjoyed that movie, but see that came out. There was another one that almost had the Dante's Peak volcano aspect because there was another movie called Cellular that came out at the exact same time as that one. Oh, and they were both written by Larry Cohen. <laughs> Look at that. That was a good year for Larry. Yes, it was. <laughs> that that's just it. He is. Everywhere you wanted to be in genre, and from his start, like in the sixties, his he still wrote till two thousand ten. Yep. His last directing was, um, oh, let me see, wasn't that just it? I was two thousand seven? He wrote, um, he directed a whole. He wrote one of the episodes of Masters of Horror. Yes. So he was still working and still prolific, and he is a master of horror. Yes, he is, and that's just it. I I think he's one of those lesser known masters of horror. Mm-hmm. Because there aren't many people, and again, I've still got a lot of gaps in my Larry Cohen filmography, but there is one film in particular that I know has been such a favorite for you. In fact, you know, over the years we've been friends, it's been it's come up a lot. Because, mm-hmm. you know, when you're genre horror nerds, you, you talk Larry Cohen a lot. But the smile that comes on your face when we talk about this film, the smile that comes on your face with giant monsters in general. Right. But specifically, when you add all those, when you take giant monsters and the Larry Cohen aesthetic. And throw a little Latin American flair in there. Oh, my God. I think we have a movie made for one genius McGee. I think we do. Q, the winged serpent, is a fucking masterpiece. It is a great, (laughs) it is a great, great movie. It makes you root for uh, terrible people. The monsters... Adorably charming yes, and is. terrifyingly vicious yes, at the same is. time. And I saw this thing in the theater when I was super little and Wait. remember having a ball. Wait a minute. Okay, yeah. Let's talk about I that. I was little. That might be your best claim to fame at this point. Seeing Q in the theater. Yeah, you were a tiny yeah. little genius. I would have been like four, but six. This goes directly into your point, though, that we started back when we talked Godzilla. A young person watching giant monster movies, messing stuff up. Because I remember going to the theater and seeing the poster and being like, "That looks awesome!" Right? Okay. Well, from a four-year-old genius to now a forty-some-odd, it still ge- looks awesome. That is a cool hand paint. It looks like fucking um, uh, um, Ernie Ber- Bernie Wrightson. Like, oh yeah, just, just the painting way. with just that hand-painted yep. giant. Quetzalcoatl with a woman in one hand and the Chrysler building in the other and Q. His name is Quetzalcoatl. That's all you'll be able to say. It's definitely side of the van worthy. And then you could put the logo on the back of the van as well with the Q as the serpent. Mm -hmm. Everything about it. And that's the thing. You had to sell a lot of these films based on that kind of marketing. This was one of those. The VHS cover 
was one that forever haunted me because unlike you, I only came to Q probably within the last five to six years. Oh, yeah? It really took me that long to get to it. And I don't know why because I was hyper aware of the movie. I was, I've seen the trailer and there was just something that kept me from it. And not necessarily through prodding through you, but just knowing that little... It's like, geez, Greg, what should you watch tonight? Should you watch Big Trouble in Little China for the 100 millionth time or something new? And I think finally, the day I decided on Q, little genius, little angel and demon came up, you know? <laughs> and they both pushed me to Q. They're like, this is your time. And I cannot disagree with you. This, uh, between this and the stuff, and God told me to, depending on my mood, I think could waver to my top Cohen at this yeah. point. I think IQ is my favorite Cohen. Is it? Q is my favorite with God told me to a very close second and then the stuff. Well, then how long has it been since you've revisited then? Because this is, like I said, it's still pretty fresh on my mind mm -hmm. when I rewatched it. When was the last time you probably engaged with this film? Aside from this rewatch, probably about three years. Okay. So, so that's not... It's not on the constant rotation, but every now and then I'm like, well, fuck, I'm going to watch Q. And I think it was after the. it was after we did... The King Cohen double feature after God told me to. Yeah, we did that. Then as a show I was show like, out. you know what? I can, I'm gonna watch Q. You know, because it's a, it's 90 minutes. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's nice super and brief. short. Like violence right out the gate. And the interesting thing I like this is almost anti Godzilla in a way where there's not a lot of destruction mm -hmm. and you care about the people that are doing the talking. Well, we we were talking about one of the biggest issues a lot of people have with the giant monster movies is trying to find the balance of people and monster. Mm -hmm. And I think because this is a Larry Cohen film, he's going to populate your human characters with... With characters. They are be, characters. They're bigger sometimes than Q itself, <laughs> right, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that has always stuck out to me with Cohen is the fact that we talked about the guerrilla filmmaking. Half the time, you can get lost watching the people in the, in the background. background. And and the side characters, and even the people, <laughs> and the little side skits, and just, because every kill is a skit. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not like, ah, they have that, like, ah, people going like that, but the topless sunbather being peeped on by the guy, and the guy saying, oh, shit, it's a monster. The funny running, the, not the running joke, but the jokes of um, the lunch pail being taken. That was Quite and wonderful. then it's a monster. The whole first kill is a skit. It was like with the creepy window, window washer. washer. And he populates his movies with all these bizarre yet real people. Because even in the background, it's like, whoa, there's Abel Ferrar. And like, oh, there's <laughs> there's this person. Oh, there's that person. There's Henenlotter. There's Henenlotter. There's Harry Reams right there. Take it out. They're all checking it out. Like, what's going on? Those two old people. The fact that he was like, okay, we're going to have a scene of like, cops uh, pulling the body out of the hotel so okay let's block off the scene and action and then you can see the people like what the hell's going on over is, there is that is that is shaft is, is that is that qui-gon kane holy shit fucking are they making a movie and then like all of a sudden you just see people like okay we got it let's go it's unreal he it just is. feels like first of all he feels before we even get into the main actors just yeah. the side actors and like you said yeah, the background uh, characters it's a world in itself, and that's what I think makes his movie special because the world feels with such oddball, eccentric characters. Yeah. You still know people like that. Yeah. They just look so real and they act so real because they are real. And you're like, holy <laughs> shit, maybe there is a giant winged serpent going around killing people. Do you think Larry Cohen is in cahoots, actually? He's actually the with Illuminati. The yeah, exactly. Just like fucking, like, I mean, we're just going to make people think, okay, uh, maybe God Told Me To is actually a documentary. Maybe we should bow down to our Lord and Savior, Richard Lynch, and decide China. 
<laughs> I don't know if I can. I've been there for a while, my friend. So welcome to the club. It's quite it's quite comfy. We got a lot of room in here, as it right? turns out. But the character. Okay, before we go into the characters, first we got to figure out if this is actually fits our criteria. And that's when, because I was all excited when you said. But here's the thing. I'm gonna just right off the bat say yes because when I was looking at again research for the film, I cannot tell you how many kaijun pieces were written about Q, including like so you'll have a website. Oh, it's all kaijun month. Let's talk about Q. There were podcast kaiju podcast, not kaijun, <laughs> devoted the year round talking about Q. Hmm. So we can debate that all you want, but I'm thinking. Because like True Cohen, it's for the people, by the people. The people have spoken. And it's a kaiju. It's a kaiju. But. Because I was going down the list and making sure. Because I want to make sure that we're, you know. Staying true. For our criteria. So one, can it destroy a car in its, uh, in, with one hand? Now, the way he picked up that person <laughs> with one talon. <laughs> yeah. I think that it would be possible for him to pick up a car with one talon. I think there's room to spare. Yeah, I and do. So th- I, I would. Think, I would I agree with that. That would be okay. And some of the long shots we got of him, I he think was he pretty could, huge. Yeah, he was yeah. huge. Um, destruction in a uh, populated city. Now, while he didn't get a lot of destruction, when he did fall in that building, it did knock down. But there was a lot of chaos. That's just it. Chaos, I think, has to count. There was chaos, and there was a there was a decent body count. And that's just the other thing. Yeah, there is a large body count with this. So mm-hmm. yeah, no one is going unpunished with this. So I think. Yeah, we can allow that. And then man's futile attempt at putting it down. Now, while they, <laughs> while they did technically bring it down with machine guns. Yes, which it listen. It's just I, I, they did it gleefully with machine guns. It should be noted. I think they're all having a blast on the Chrysler Tower, the Chrysler Building. Well, they weren't supposed to be there. With shells raining upon people, and a lot of the reactions they shot were of people freaking out from the shells. <laughs> Raining upon them from this building, it's crazy. Like one of the shots of when the when the blood gets oh, on all the people, yes. and everybody's like, "What the fuck?" And they're looking around. I could just imagine like Larry Cohen like throwing water balloons of blood out. Well, it's that scene in PCU with all the meat and everything. It's just that, but yeah. just the Larry Cohen. <laughs> um, now you'll be okay, guys. It'll be fine. It's fine. You're fine. Are you sure? Are you sure this is okay uh, there, Larry? Yeah, it's fine, David. You're fine. Just keep doing it. Uh, we do have Richard Roundtree and David Carradine as the cops investigating ritualistic murders. This film is a giant monster movie. Yet there's people being flayed. Yes, it's got elements of like noir to it. It's a crime film. It's a buddy cop movie. Mm-hmm. It's so many different things all within this within the confines of the monster movie. And a heist movie. Yes, and a heist movie. We start out... And, Shall we go ahead and let's just... talk about Michael Moriarty? Oh. He's wonderful in everything. Him and Larry Cohen just make a magical combination. They collaborate well together. They're like musicians mm-hmm. playing well together, which turns out that part of him playing in the. Give it up, Not part of the original script. Uh, it was uh, only upon meeting Michael Moriarty and realizing he's this crazy character, eccentric. And plays, and he a, plays hell of a piano, piano. <laughs> and can do all of that. That they incorporated the character of Jimmy Quinn as not only this wheel guy, but this struggling, you know, jazz musician that's just trying to get ahead. Mm-hmm. And they they collaborate well because between this and the stuff, between between Jimmy Quinn and, and Mo, Mo, he has carved himself out a wonderful this, character acting niche. Well, and I remember that I distinctly remember my first time seeing him in a movie because. He stood out 
in a movie that was already had some very interesting characters. Uh, John Carl Beekler's Troll. Mm-hmm. As Harry Potter Sr. Yes, as Harry Potter Sr. When he is rocking out to Summertime Blues... Air guitaring. I was as a kid going. I kind of like this I like guy. This dude, it's Michael Moriarty. And it was then, you know, upon watching the stuff, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's Harry Potter Senior. And when I finally watched this again, however, a few years ago, I was like, oh my goodness, welcome. It's like it's Moriarty. I'm all good with it. He's so charming, it, and well, you, even though he's a wife beater and like despicable, J- Jimmy Quinn, the character is despicable. There is, there are no, we mentioned it, there are no likable characters. The cops in this film, horrible. We, yeah, but yet you can't help but like them. Well, of they're, course. They're not like, they're, they're not good people, mm. but they're good people. Like, it's, it's like when you, it's kind of like watching Always Sunny or Shameless. You're kind of rooting for bad people. You wouldn't hang out with them. Right. But you like watching them. Right. Same thing with him. Yeah, yeah. He he's abusive, but at the same time, I can't help but agree with him when he was like, "You know what? This is what I want. I'll lead you guys to all this." And there was, I think, there was one line where Richard Round, she's like, "You've been sitting on this information for a day. What about the two people that died? How do you feel about that?" And he goes, "You know what? I feel fine because I'm saving the next people tomorrow, and then the two people after that, and the two people after that. So me and my conscience are square." Right, and I'm thinking the same thing. If I had some information and I had the cops raining down on my ass like mm-hmm. Jimmy Quint did, I would be like, "Look, make sure that you don't get me, and I'll tell you everything you need to know about this <laughs> giant monster. I got no love lost for this monster, but if I can get some immunity, oh, yeah. I'm gonna get some immunity." Well, I was gonna say we found out in last month's commentary that you have a beautiful singing voice, so you're no stranger to singing <laughs> your way to whatever you need to do there. No, now, I'm not a rat, but I'll I'll I'll. <laughs> Drat out a monster. T- well, and that's just it. Again, he is uh, through the midst of this failed heist. He stumbles up to the Chrysler building and stumbles across this giant egg. And if you ever need an egg, can I offer you an egg in these trying times? That's the first thing I said, especially when he sent those goons up to yes. their demise. The cast is Sopranos. Because that's another thing. The fucking, okay, so here we go, Michael Moriarty, and we think, okay, he's a struggling jazz musician. Right? Because he's even doing that chopping broccoli in the bar. He's going for it. Oh, it's a great, it's a great little scene between him and Carradine, mm-hmm. which culminates in where he goes, Hey, you're not bad. Hey, fuck off. <laughs> and just walks away. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and again, that's legit funny. And establishing the characterization of him as just this guy that should know better. Plus, it's New York. And if I hate to say stereotyping New York in the 80s, but fucking stereotyping New York. Hey, I'm walking here! You know, that kind of shit. The same reason I loved watching the movies, but I would have been terrified to go through there. Oh, my God. It was almost kind of like, okay, so I went to New York maybe about 10 years ago. Maybe a little bit bit more. And I was like both heartbroken and relieved <laughs> when I'm walking down. I'm like, oh, it's been Disneyfied. Oh, yes. This is 42nd Street. Okay. Yeah, it's have, cool, I guess. You have very like eco friendly beaded curtains. It's just, it's right? not the same. Recycle. I made out of recycled material. <laughs> exactly. You know, the floors are sticky, but it's like sticky because they're like all natural soy and <laughs> shit. Like, oh man, it's it's different. And again, there it's really funny though because there are people that have talked about how they 
do have those nostalgic feelings for old New York. But now that they're a little bit older, when they go in, they're like, well, at the same time, I'm not going to get stabbed or mugged, so that's always right. a good thing. Right. Yeah, that constant fear over your shoulder. Because when he comes in, because he comes in after getting hit by a car and losing the diamonds, the wife was like, what, you get mugged again? And it's like, well, I mean, it is New York. The use of the word again with those two, did you get mugged again? Are you going to beat <laughs> me again? Again, establishing just what a scumbag Jimmy Quinn is, but he's ostensibly he's our hero mm-hmm. of the film, or at least our protagonist that we're following him around in. Um, he's very entitled, and that line that I want a Nixon esque payday, very much of the time, and also talking about like the satire and everything, and just the distrust, the fact that you I do want have, it in writing. Yes, you have a character that is distrustful of the government, and as it turns out in the end. He gets, a, he gets screwed. He has a right to Car- be. Carradine's like, oh, yeah, we're, we're not going to do that now. You just didn't give us. That's just we had to do the egg ourselves. you know. And you're just like, oh, my God. So you're already taking this bad person, and it's only going to make them much, much worse mm-hmm. at this point. So, yeah, I, I again, I love the character. I love the actor. But, oh, my goodness, you're just like. But he's so charming, you he can't is, help but like him. That's the bad thing about. It. And then same thing with Carradine. He's an asshole and a jerk, but he <laughs> saves the day, you know. And it's like ah. And he's like, I just want to find out these ritual murders. I don't even know how to spell Quetzalcoatl. Well, do you think he wanted to do some kung fu action on Quetzalcoatl? I think so. I think he was like, hey, you want you to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He wanted to train with him, but he's having. <laughs> This, there was a line in there that cracked me up when he's like, yeah, I don't know who's killing all these peoples, but yeah, if you want to fool around, I'll be right back. I got to go take my birth control pills. And I just lost it. I was like, what the fuck, right? See, I'd like to know if that was in the script or if that was just something that he threw out on the cuff. And the fact that they're old army buddies, him and Larry Cohen. And re- yeah, we were talking off mic how there's probably a missed sitcom-esque you know shenanigans that could go with that with a with the buddy <laughs> army buddies, where you got Larry always like coming up with these ideas and then Dave. Hey, wouldn't goes it be along great if we just jumped over and in the kitchen and then we go and then we could like open up and we can cook ourselves a meal? Yeah, that's a great idea, Larry. I bet I can jump over that. You think you could do that? Yeah, watch. I bet I can, man, Larry. I think that'd be awesome if you could. Yeah, check it out. Watch. Boop, boop, boop. See, I'm, I'm studying this thing called kung fu. It's gonna be great. Wow, that's really impressive, David. I think, hey, let's break in. Yeah, you know, like, and what then, if a monster came out of nowhere? Oh, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. And again, he's just taking notes in the back as 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 he as just you know David does his thing. Um, we're forty minutes. We're forty five minutes into the episode. Let's talk about Q. Yeah. Let's talk about the awesomeness of Q. He's great. Let's talk about the fact that we started in nineteen fifty four with a man in suit. We went to two thousand and thirteen with Pacific Rim with CGI. And now in 1982, good old-fashioned stop, stop motion. motion. Yeah. Oh, this is th- that's the great thing about Larry Cohen. He's like takes B monster movies. This is a B monster movie oh, yeah. in an exploitation movie. Yes, it is. So that's what I like about it because the monster is fucking charming. He's genuinely terrifying. And when they have the good mix of the CG, not CGI, the stop motion and the practical. Yes. When he actually terrorizes yes. his victims. It's really effective. Uh, so between this movie and Dirty Harry, growing up, again, I'm glad I probably didn't watch this as a, as a youth because Dirty Harry has multiple scenes where the um, Scorpio killer is sniping people on rooftops. In this film, if you're on a rooftop, you are at the bottom of the food chain yeah. for Q. It's going to come and get you. Yeah, it is. 
Whether you're working on, whether you're on the rooftop sunbathing, being peeped on, or whether you're on working on the rooftop. Hey, you guys, stop stealing my lunch. My wife's going to kill me. One of these days, his mind makes me some mean tuna melt. I'm going to go say that so. guy taking such delight in eating that guy's that sandwich. Taking his lunch. And what just kills me is there's backstory there. Like, I, we'll never get it, but I would actually, a short story about the, the just the, the animosity between those guys. And it's like, uh, I had that brownie in there that last time. I'll show him one day. And then, like, the one day, he's then he's, to- like, really ready to show him. Like, he goes, I'm going to put laxative in my lunch or something and then he gets eaten by Q and Q has a thing for heads at this point well it's the most delicious part of the body and the tooth beaver knows this the brain the eyeballs Mm -hmm. the tongue the cheek I guess all the finer meats apparently Q's a fan of head cheese he's a delicate yeah you're gonna like it it's real good (laughs) so (laughs) well we start off with a kill with the the, the window washer and and that's a joke in itself (laughs) yeah apparently a real window washer of course but what I really do like is the fact that we only get snippets of Q throughout. Mm-hmm. We don't get a full reveal until very long into the movie. So you've got build-up like Jaws. But that also makes sense because <laughs> you didn't have a lot of money for the stop motion. And the stop motion effects were done by Randall Cook and Dave Allen. And they talked about the Mount Rushmore. If you're talking like stop motion, you'll have Harryhausen, mm-hmm. Phil Tippett, and then definitely Randall Cook and Dave Allen. But they didn't have a lot to work with. And so when they would show Cohen the, the, the actual stop motion, he's like, oh, yeah, that's not going to necessarily fit my uh, the shot that I already did. Because he's already... So they were... Wor- they weren't working in tandem. It was probably tough to do what he wanted, but the fact that it looks so good and it actually works so well mm-hmm. is what's shocking to me. And I, if I'm honest, that's probably what kept me away from the film for so long was my fear of Q not being all that great, just the monster itself. Yeah, but you hardly see him. You just no. see, like, big shadows. The shadow And the play. shadows was cool. The shadow play across great. the Chrysler building. That's wonderful. He was enormous presence throughout, but very seen, seldom seen. For being a big, giant monster flying around in New York, he was pretty stealthy. Well, and New York is not, you know, unfamiliar with giant monsters. And, in fact, the ending of this film was a little anti-King Kong, because rather than the giant monster being on the building and, you know, the people swooping in and attacking, we had the people in the building with the giant monster out and about swooping in and attacking. Mm-hmm. So, And the fact that they weren't supposed to be there. No! The fact that they were oh, just no. extras with machine guns up in the Chrysler I, building randomly, just like, oh, we only got one day to shoot this before everybody gets in trouble, so let's go do it. And you don't think about the fact that what if one of those shells blinded someone as mm-hmm. it fell down? Like, there's, I mean, we're, I love the man, God rest his soul, I love the films, but there's a reason there is a protocol for that kind of stuff, because, God forbid, what, just anything that could have happened, thank God it didn't, but, yeah. oh, again, you cannot do this today, you cannot, you can make this kind of movie. But you're gonna get sued. No, no, no. You can make a giant monster movie in New York, but you can't make it the way they did. Now. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, there's. Yeah. You're gonna have your own film within a film being. Oh yeah, it's, it's gonna it's, be a Richard Stanley documentary later on about yeah. you. You'll be a cautionary tale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I said. I was so just charmed by it. Uh, the fact that in the midst of the giant monster, we have these Aztec sacrifices going on, which actually summon people Q. and shit. Yeah. The level of gore going on there was shocking and surprising, and it turns out it's like a jaded museum employee <laughs> at that point, which 
is you noticed f- is Frank Reynolds' landlord. Of course it is. Snake meat. It's good. I'm starting to believe at this point we're either going to be able to find a Simpsons reference or it's, an, it's always Sunny in Philadelphia reference in most of the films. Yeah. Which is good. Don't get me wrong. It works. I'm, it works. I'm all for that. No. Uh, I like the Guna, Guna, uh, Gunagram. The when the, the whole side plot of him running from the mob. Yes. Absolutely. And that's one of the mob members is Aguado from Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. And he was the, he was one of those guys. And I was like, I, I have to like go to the Imtibu at this point because it was driving me nuts. Yeah. Now, I'm pretty sure he probably was in... Sopranos. Uh, did we notice the New York Dennis Farina as well? We did. <laughs> What'd you call him? Menace Farina? Menace Farina. Uh, now, I've just, again... Just charmed by the monster. Because Baby Q is kind of terrifying in its way, too. It was it, it, cute and terrifying. Well, and then we had a chance. We were listening to some of the commentary with with uh, through the Scream Factory channel. And Larry Cohen, at the, 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 it's a great shot at the very end because you don't see Baby Q technically. You see the, the egg opens and then by, it's uh, me. Filmed by Larry Cohen. And he's like, yeah, it's me. He talked about the fact that he lamented that he didn't have a lot of money to make with this, and that's probably my favorite part of the commentary. And quite honestly, the ethos and like you know central statement of Larry Cohen that if I had one hundred and fifty million dollars, I could have made one hundred and fifty movies. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not going to take one hundred and fifty million and make, to make one, one movie. movie. He's going to take all that movie and make as much as he can. Because imagine, because I'm I probably should have looked up the budget on this one at this point, but I know it wasn't a lot. But the fact that, no, he would just spread it out and continue to make his films his, his way. way, but with maybe a little bit more money. Maybe he could get a permit. But to, <laughs> maybe he could that's pay all the fines. Turns out like his, his films that aren't guerrilla filmmaking, they're just horrible. They're boring. They're just mundane. Uh, you need that element of danger. Get permits. Because <laughs> he's a funny dude. He is. I mean, like, because even he's, like... He's I, sharp. I keep going back to some of the non-sequiturs in the movie when... Uh, like they're on the rooftop again, and they're, the one guy's watching the girl do aerobics, and he's like, "Yeah, this is great. I'm having a wonderful time. Thanks for calling me up here to watch you work out." Well, and it turns out we find out that Q is a dunker when it comes to his donuts. Little dip, little dip, little you know. Into the maybe pool. The, the guy's joke. He was he had a very dry delivery, so they had to maybe put a little bit of wet in it. And then I like to what else he goes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he goes, first we got a big bird, now we have cultists, and then it turns into a cult movie. And then he goes, who would believe we would have ritual murders in 1982? And then, like, uh, the the clowning and the jokes that all the cops had, just the non-sequiturs like that. It, I, I never paid taxes in my life, and I'm not going to start now. And I also want you to kiss my ass on live TV. Make it happen. <laughs> the Jimmy Quinn bucket list is kind of incredible. I I know this is how you make a giant monster movie interesting. You give the characters purpose. You mm-hmm. give them personality. Make them funny. Make them funny. Yeah. And we when we talked um destroy all monsters. No, the in between parts it's not bad, but it's not cute. Right. You know Pacific Rim. I I still have some issues with the characters, but when the giant monsters the, the kaiju on oh, they're perfect. Yeah. You the know? fact that you don't see a lot of giant monsters, yeah. but you see more funny actual people. Mm-hmm. I'm good with that. Yeah, I'm good with that too. I am kind of going, where's Q? But I'm okay with Q not going for a little not while. Not necessarily a poochie feel. Yeah. Although the one thing that did stand out that I really liked was like 
all of a sudden, in the middle of the movie, right towards the climax, we had the and now Larry Cohen's New York fact. What's the Statue of Liberty doing up there? Actually, that's the real mold for this big one. It was brought up in here in 1852 and put up there on the hand, the Union Press, blah, 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 blah. You don't know that? Back to the monster movie. This has been Larry Cohen's New York City Fact. You know, and so... <laughs> Entertaining and educational genius. Right? <laughs> He's found the balance for everything. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. This is why I don't think we do fully... We talk about not fully appreciating John Waters. I don't think we fully appreciated Larry Cohen, quite honestly. Yeah. It's, just, it's rough, but much like the you know the, the work he's left, we get to celebrate it now for the entirety. A lot of people are going to be discovering all of his work, you know, especially if people that people that dig like Quentin Tarantino going um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, talking about all those old Western TV shows. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of them are going to try to backtrack into that. They're going to probably find some Larry Cohen work. Oh yeah, potentially, and I'm hoping. If you're a Tarantino fan, you'll know Larry Cohen, or at least know the name, yeah. ideally. Just because I think they share a lot in their just philosophies and aesthetics. And again, why I just genuinely love his work. And I'm so happy that we decided and focused on this particular film for Q's this a one. Hoot. Q, I think it's also, Q is a hoot, is what I was trying to say. Q the coot. Q is a hoot. It and is. I think it is one of those criminally underseen movies. Because yep. I think even in yep. the horror genres, like, have you seen Q? What's it that? It took me forever to see it. I, I think people, more than people need to see The Wonderful World of Larry Cohen and also The Wonderful World of Weird Kaiju movies. Absolutely. And uh, the King Cohen documentary is a really good place to start. Yes, it is. It's going to give you a taste of everything, and then you go from the buffet to the main courses, and you get to sample everything. It is so freaking good. No, this has been perfect for Kaiju Genius. Thank you. For, sincerely, thank you for this recommendation. This was friggin' wonderful. Now, final thoughts before we end things up here? No. I, I, I think more kaiju movies should be funny. Well, you know what? Well, well unfortunately then, uh, <laughs> we're closing out King-Sized again. It's there are, some, there are some moments of levity in the film. Still, if it's got Godzilla or a monster, smashy, smashy, am I going to hear dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, dun. I think you're going to be happy. I think you're going to be happy. Excellent. So until next week when we close out Kaijun, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And we'll see you in your dreams. Bye.